Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. The Athletic. So Manchester United swept aside Tottenham at Old Trafford last night, a quarter of the way through this Premier League season. What did this performance tell us about Eric Ten Hag's influence on his United side? What does that result tell us about where Spurs are now, nearly a year into Antonio Conte's tenure as manager? And we'll also talk about the unused sub who left the stadium before the final whistle, Cristiano Ronaldo. I'm Adam Leventhal. This is the Athletic Football Podcast. One end of Flurry at the other, Bruno Fernandes, Fred, Bruno Fernandes! What a finish that is, what a further finish, he guides it into the corner. I said 11 players, I have to correct myself, it was a performance also from the subs who came on, or once again they did also a good role, and once again it was a squad performance. In, in all the... 10 months, 11 months, uh, you cannot pass uh, from nine plays and uh, to become uh, a title contenders. Every time we played uh, a game, uh, a high level game, uh, we struggle. So I'm joined from The Athletic by our Manchester United writer Laurie Whitwell and our Spurs writer Jack Pitbrook. Laurie, you were at Old Trafford last night and I mean I, I suppose a good line that you used in your in your piece that uh, is live on The Athletic at the moment is that Eric Ten Hag's players worked in whirring synchronicity to totally dominate Tottenham Hotspur and hint at the potential to come. Is it fair to say you were you were purring after that performance? I was purring yes um, <laughs> well it's, it's difficult not to when you're in Old Trafford when it's alive like that and you know it was the players that started the atmosphere that then spread throughout the stadium and then fed back into the players. It seemed like they were, you know, feeding off each other. And um, yeah, so I, I left thinking that was a great production of an Eric Ten Hag football team and where players were committed to it, where where they all sort of understood their roles and, and they moved across the pitch in cohesion. It, it, it felt as one, whereas you've had, you've had sort of great, moments in matches previously for Manchester United in recent years but it hasn't felt complete like that and it was the idea of it you could see what he was planning you know from from minute one really he was on the touchline instructing them waving his arms to kind of get more energy from them in attack but yeah they they pressed high uh, they pushed up in defence you know uh, Martinez and Varane were all over Harry Kane sort of trying to snuff him out at source um, and you had Marcus Rashford making runs in behind. He didn't get the goal that probably his performance deserved, but a couple of really good saves from Hugo Lloris maybe could have uh, changed the finishing on it. But overall, there were so many really good performances from Man United players, which we can get into a little bit more. But uh, yeah, I came away from it thinking that's an Eric Ten Hag team. If they can keep that up, then great. But it, it will be difficult to maintain that level of, um, of of kind of physical exertion. And Jack, I mean, obviously Manchester United, that they turned up and they they excelled in the match. It was a different story for, for Tottenham. And I mean, Tim Spears, who's, who's written on The Athletic 
uh, today was basically hinting at the fact that they looked beaten after 10 minutes and nothing really nothing really changed is that is that a, is that a worry do you think for antonio conte yeah big worry i think this was probably the worst performance under conte they had those three defeats to chelsea back in january of this year but that was so early under the conte's tenure that i think it's unfair to judge him too much for that he's been there nearly a year now he's had two transfer windows and for them to go into a game like this you know not against manchester city but against manchester united and to really offer nothing at all in the game. They never looked like they were in it. They were completely dominated by United. If it wasn't for Hugo Lloris or maybe some slightly un, uh, wonky finishing, they would have lost by a lot, lot more. So, yeah, really, really bad and almost nothing good you can say about it from a Tottenham perspective. Laurie, I mean, we're, we're recording this on, on Zoom and I can see you I can see you smiling. Do, do, you, do you think that... This is the sort of sort of reaction that you might just get after one game in terms of in terms of Tottenham's performance, and you know that they shouldn't be too worried, and at the same time Manchester United shouldn't be too confident after this this victory. Or do you think it means more? I think it means more in the sense that clearly Ten Hag is getting through to his players and they're responding, and and there's clearly some principles put in place there that you think are going to be lasting tenements of his time at Manchester United. But I do you know I do take your point that it's one game. I thought Spurs were really anemic. Um, that's kind of why I was sort of laughing at, at Jack saying there's literally nothing to take away from it from their perspective. Um, but I kind of also think that United made it that way. United were proactive. They they made themselves the protagonists of the story. And, you know, there was goal kicks that Hugo Lloris had and, and United were just all over them, you know, and, and they won the ball back literally in, in the final third, which is, is kind of crazy you know just repeatedly to, to, to do so but yeah it, it was against a Spurs team that obviously set out to contain and to sit back so I suppose that invites United to take on that role um, and, and Kane and Son they've obviously had such a, a riotous time at Old Trafford previously but th- they were you know largely ineffectual um, I think Kane had that sort of one shot that whistled wide and, and then the, the shot on target that he had I don't know if it still counts because he was actually offside but that then you know the referee credit to him. You know played advantage and United scored from that that break. So in terms of the wider picture, definitely really encouraging signs for United. And probably Conte was kind of interesting after the game. He, he said these are the levels. You know United are, are better than us, um, which I was surprised at him saying. I mean I, I know that he does like to provoke in that kind of kind of negative way sometimes, but I do feel like maybe this is is probably really where Spurs are at rather than the kind of. The, the, the results that they've been having, I suppose their performances haven't pr- quite justified that. And they haven't, you know, they, I think it was their start, best start in the Premier League era. Um, perhaps this is actually more the reality of the situation. And Jack, just sort of expand a little bit on that on that point that, that Laurie's made there about Antonio Conte, because when things don't go to plan, he does sort of, sort of bathe in this defeatist sort of <laughs> attitude. And he seems to sort of revel in in saying, well, yeah, I, I said it wasn't going to go to plan. And, you know, I, I told you that it was going to be be like this. But then at the same time, he seems to still have a connection with his with his team. How do those two things balance out, do you think? Well, yeah, it's a difficult one. I mean, he does clearly... I think there's always there's always a little bit of reputation management going on with Conte, and this is something that we heard quite a lot from him last season, particularly when things were going badly. Was oh, you know, words to the effect of, "I didn't know how hard his job was going to be until I took it, and then I took it, and I realised it was going to be very, very difficult." Which does, you know, it's kind of obvious. The politics of that are obvious. It's to do with making yourself look good, and he hasn't had to do that this season because. You know, Tottenham have been pretty good in terms, at least in terms of results. But then, when they 
when they play as badly as they did last night, it certainly makes sense for him to to paint it as a very, very difficult job that he's got. As it happens, I mean, I don't really agree with him. I don't think that there's a huge, there is a huge level of difference between the team teams. Obviously, you know, United have a lot more money to spend. You know, they, Spurs could never afford to buy Anthony, for example, uh, or Varane, or Sancho, or Cristiano Ronaldo. Not not that he played yesterday, but. You know, that money hasn't really been especially helpful to Man United in recent years. And Tottenham, the core of Tottenham's team are really good players. You know, Lloris, Dyer, Romero, Hoybier, Bentancur, Son, Kane, the guys that play every single minute. These are really, really established top players who play who play for international football for really good countries. So I, I don't really think... I think Tottenham... If, if Conte thinks that... Tottenham would never have a chance of competing in a game like this, then I think that says more about Conte's own game plan than it does about the resources available to him. Laurie, you mentioned a few moments ago about um, Kane and Son and that 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 partnership almost just being being kept quiet and they'd done well at Old Trafford previously, but they weren't able to to do it last night. The partnership that really did excel was Fred and, and Casemiro, and I suppose that's it's it's a nice sort of division there of of a player who's been given an uplift by Eric Ten Hag and also a player that has been brought in by Eric Ten Hag and they seem to dovetail perfectly now, don't they? Well, yeah, they've obviously had experience of playing with each other for Brazil and I suppose that was what United sort of in the back of their minds thought, could this also work for us? Um, Fred's been this kind of Marmite player ever since he came to the Premier League and he sort of changes people's minds from week by week. You know, sometimes he can look like an absolute world beater, which he pretty much did last night. I know it was a bit chaotic, but it was the kind of player that you'd want to have in your team, that all action, press high. I mean, I looked at the average positions on, on the players' pitch map and, and he was, alongside Bruno Fernandes, he was basically operating as a number 10, which is clearly something that Ten Hag had told him to go and do, win the ball back high. Uh, and then Casemiro is that kind of complementary figure behind a, a calmer presence, I suppose. Nonetheless, someone that will stick a foot in and win the ball back, but you know, kind of sits and observes and, and then makes his move rather than kind of rushes ahead to intercept at, at source. Um, so yeah, they, they do seem to work together. And the Casemiro example is, is another interesting one where that, that felt like the first match where United fans got the, the true Casemiro. I know he got man of the match at Goodison Park, but it was there was a few mistakes in there and obviously it's away from home. This was one where United fans, I think, totally bought into what he can provide. I know that he doesn't need to prove himself, you know, five Champions League uh, winning medals, but it, it, it's still a new venue and, and he got a standing ovation as he came off you know it was one of those organic moments that you kind of felt okay this is a a group of people acknowledging a really good performance and, and hopefully that will stand him in good stead for the season but as a, as a duo yeah I mean the, both of them were kind of out of it you know it was McTominay and Ericsson was the central midfield partnership that Ten Hag was going with and and it's been Casemiro and Fred last couple of games against Newcastle as well I mean against Newcastle it felt you know that was a different kind of game, and it perhaps felt a bit too reserved. I mean, maybe Fred had the handbrake off a little bit more against Spurs, and, and and there were good moments against Newcastle. They probably should have won it, you know, at the end with with Rashford's header. So, and maybe you shouldn't see it an isolation of the nil nil result, but clearly, I mean, they were better against Spurs, and they do seem to complement each other. They obviously enjoy playing with each other. I think you could really see that the kind of passion that the players had that was transmitted to everybody, you know, the way they celebrated the goals. I know it's easy to say, you know, fan, a player enjoys a goal, but, you know, there was real kind of, you could sense um, authentic 
you know, trust between them. So, um, yeah, it's inter- he's got options at least now, Ten Hag, because, you know, McTominay came on, Eriksen came on. That midfield area, there's, there's sort of different blends that you think could work. But I think Casemiro, and again, you have to remember that this is actually, he, he wanted Frankie de Jong. Casemiro is the player that kind of was almost his, his backup, really. You know, he wanted to leave Real Madrid after the Champions League final and they made it known. He went on holiday. Real Madrid said, think about it a bit more. He came back and said, no, I do want to leave. And um, and agents, you know, made representations to Manchester United and they had him as the kind of the, the bubbling along the whole time, keeping that kind of conversation warm whilst the Frankie de Jong thing they tried for. Totally different kind of player to Frankie de Jong. And I think that maybe impacted what Ten Hag was... He, he was he was he didn't throw him in straight away. You know, people were asking why is Scott McTominay playing, and he was saying, "Well, Scott McTominay is playing well," and I think that's a crucial point that Ten Hag keeps players in if they're playing well. So you know, we'll see if this lasts for a long time now. Fred and Casemiro. We shouldn't get too carried away, Jack. I suppose with with Tottenham after just one defeat, they are still third. They're only four points back from from the leaders, Arsenal, but they have. You know, lost against Arsenal. They've now lost against Manchester United. They they weren't able to to beat Chelsea earlier on uh, in the season. And it's interesting when Laurie was talking earlier about the the atmosphere and and that connection between the fans and the team. It was reminiscent of the early days under Conte, wasn't it? You know that that big connection that he has with the with the fans. Do you think that? He almost needs to to evolve a little bit more now in the way that he is setting up his side and and what he's sort of bringing to the to the table. Do you think that sort of the demands that he puts on his side have a have a shelf life? His his approach or not? Well, I don't think he's going to change because he's you know he's fifty three years old. He's won a lot of trophies in his career. He's won he's won the league with three different teams, all in quite difficult circumstances. So I think the idea that Conte is going to change change what he does, I think, is it's not going to happen. What I don't know is, and I've been picking my brains about this all morning, how can Tottenham be better in games like this? Because the way that they play is it's very different from a lot of the other big teams. You know, they're, they're so happy to play deep, uh, let the other team have the ball, territory, kind of half chances. Obviously, last night it blew up in their face a bit because United just swarmed all over them and Spurs couldn't get out. But they've got to find a way to perform better in matches like this. I wonder if it's... I mean, clearly not having Kulisewski in the team is a big problem because he's one of the few guys who can create chances. Not having Longley last night was a problem because he's their best defender at playing out from the back. But... Um, you're, you are right, and I don't have an answer to this, but the the approach in games like this is, uh, wh- I mean, when it works, it's fantastic, but when it doesn't work, it's, uh, it's pretty ugly. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? 
Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is supported by Season 3 of FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League 2 after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the city's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher division. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenges and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham. Catch all new episodes Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. Let's talk about something else that was that was pretty ugly, and that was um, Cristiano Ronaldo taking it upon himself to leave the bench, go down the tunnel, and leave the ground before the end of the game, if basically because he didn't get on the pitch. Laurie, just sort of just break this down for us because it's just it's just petulance, isn't it? It's it's just nonsense from from a from a player who who should know better, but we should, I suppose, not expect any better from from him because we've seen it before. Yeah, it's a really bad look, isn't it? I mean, we in the stadium didn't realise what happened. I, I'd seen him, that he was stood against the um, brick walls of the dugout as yeah. Ten Hag was making his uh, two substitutions. Um, but it was still, you know, a minute to go in, in normal time at that point. Um, and I thought, okay, he's perhaps readying himself to come on next. And maybe that was what in his mind he thought. And then, you know, he felt it was a snub from Ten Hag not to get on. But... These kind of dynamics are just, they are pretty juvenile. Now, his defenders, and we've seen them you know, on social media already, will say that it is disrespectful to not put Cristiano Ronaldo on in that kind of situation. You know, Anthony Alanga went on instead. Um, but Ten Hag's clearly managing for the collective and he, he obviously doesn't see Ronaldo as the long-term answer. He doesn't even really see him as the short-term answer. You know, he's starting Marcus Rashford and and sending on Anthony Langer. And Ronaldo also, in Ten Hag's mind, he will know that Ronaldo wanted to leave in the summer. And he made that perfectly, abundantly clear. And he also did things at the training ground that would were not helpful to a manager starting out as Manchester United boss. Um, you know, he pushed against, pressed back against the, the pressing tactics that uh, Ten Hag wanted to Im- implement. He kind of, you know, was isolated, eating alone in the canteen. He just, just basically wanted to leave and was, was, you know, causing a bit of a stink, I suppose. Um, so, so why should Ten Hag therefore give Ronaldo the, the respect that he feels that he's due for, you know, all the goals that he scored in his career? Clearly, he came off the bench against Everton and scored, you know, a match-winning goal. So he can contribute to this team, but it seems that his ego won't allow him to be overlooked in this kind of way so it's going to be a really interesting dynamic I don't know if that ultimately means that United really should look at January and think you know we need to find a solution to this aka you know he needs to leave and we need to you know allow him somewhere else that he's going to be starting every week but it was a really unedifying uh, sight and and the fact that he left the actual stadium I think you know there's one thing kind of going down the touchline I mean everyone can see it he's doing that for the cameras isn't he he's doing that to make sure that he is talked about as we are talking about him now today um, and you know, oh my, oh my gosh, he's been overlooked by Ten Hag. But to actually then leave the stadium, I mean, there was traffic outside afterwards. There'd been, I think, a, a, an accident. So you know, 
uh, perhaps he was trying to beat the traffic and get home and rest up. But uh, I think the reality of it is obviously different. And I think that's a real slap in the face, not only to the manager, but also to his teammates who are celebrating a victory that they felt really together over and, and started something good. So, yeah, it'd be interesting to see how Ten Hag deals with this. Does it not just simply push him even closer to to, to that January exit it just makes it more of a viable option for for everyone yeah I think that's probably what he's he's trying to force here um I mean but the thing is United didn't have any legitimate offers in the summer for him um Al-Halal a Saudi Arabian club made a, a multi-million pound offer to United and a very lucrative offer to Ronaldo but he wants to play in the Champions League I think he has in his mind the uh Champions League uh, goal scoring record over Lionel Messi even the group stage uh, total that he's, he's just a little bit behind Lionel Messi on maybe that's gone now because you know he obviously wasn't in the group stages this season but that that's that's something that's in his mind so he he wants to go to a Champions League club Chelsea were obviously the club that I think he probably felt he was going to go to Todd Bolly was was interested in bringing him in Tom, Thomas Tuchel pushed back against it I think that triggered um, Ronaldo going in and saying I, I want to leave um, but it didn't materialise. And then United, for all the efforts that Jorge Mendes was was doing behind the scenes to get him a club, Sporting Lisbon, Napoli, Atletico Madrid, various reasons clubs were saying no because it's either too much money or it's not the right fit for us because they've seen what's happened at Manchester United. I mean, he's doing this at Manchester United. He's going to do this at whatever club he goes to next. So if he doesn't feel like he's being respected and, and, and doesn't have it the way that he wants it to. So they're obviously looking at that thinking, is it worth a risk for us? Um, despite you know clearly the, the goal scoring that he, he will bring and, and the charisma and the commercial impact that he'll bring. But I do think that United will have to look at it in January very hard and see what can be done because you can't be having a player leave before the end of the game like that it just it just creates such a bad image and it's not what you need a club that are trying to aspire towards you know getting towards the top of the table I want to talk about England and Marcus Rashford and Harry Kane in a moment's time but Jack I wanted to give you give you an opportunity just to to vent if you wish on on Cristiano Ronaldo's uh, behavior or, or just maybe give a very considered view whichever whichever path you want to choose I think it underlined what we know what, what we've known for now a while now which is that Ronaldo is not really compatible with the concept of the team you know Ronaldo this isn't new this has been the case for years you know Ronaldo when Ronaldo signed for Juventus in 2018 he's got a lot of goals for Juventus but the Juventus team got worse over the course of the three years that he was there when he went he went to Manchester United in 2021 he scored a lot of goals but the team got worse Ronaldo makes the team worse he is antithetical to the con to the concept and the principles of a football team like your only option if you sign him is to become Ronaldo FC with everything that comes with it but you cease to be a kind of competitive football team in the traditional sense. And that, I think, really explains what happened in the summer, where clearly Ronaldo and George Mendes thought that they had an, incre- a very, an incredibly strong hand and that they could just click their fingers and suddenly all of Europe's leading clubs would form an orderly queue to, outside the just a few offices to sign Cristiano Ronaldo. That wasn't the case at all. None of these, none, like all these teams that Laurie listed, they're all really good teams. They're good teams with serious principles. And of course they don't want to sign Ronaldo. I think it's telling that the only person at a, at a major football club in Europe who did consider signing Cristiano Ronaldo in the summer was Todd Bowley. Now, I don't really see how the situation would change this January. Do you think any of these teams are going to think, oh, you know what, that you know, Napoli have built one of the best best and most exciting teams to watch in Europe this summer under Luciano Spalletti? Do you think they're going to rip that up to put Cristiano Ronaldo in there? I don't think so. So I don't, I don't know. I'm sure somebody will think, somebody will sign him, I'm sure, eventually. But I don't know whether that will be a club that he would necessarily want to play for. It's a complete mess. I actually think Eric Ten Hag has handled it 
brilliantly, given what a very difficult situation he's in. And I think he's handling it as well as anybody could expect, could better than expected. The thing on Ten Hag's handling of it is, do you, does he kind of keep Ronaldo warm, I suppose, in giving him these little nuggets of, okay, against City, I will put you on. Um, he said it was disrespectful to put him on in that situation, 4-0, 5-1 down, you know, insulting to associate him with that kind of defeat. But would he have actually, would Ronaldo have preferred it, a chance to score a goal, I suppose? And then again, would it, you know, putting him on for 10 minutes against Spurs, would that have been enough? It probably wouldn't have been enough to to keep him on side. So Ten Hag's probably thinking, well, what's the point? And, and, and wider than that, he wants to reward players that are subscribing to his methods in Antina Langer, who, who was, to, to be fair, unlucky to come out of the team um, after he started the game against Liverpool. And then United signed Anthony and he went straight in. So he's perhaps that was a moment that he felt, OK, this is to give back to Anthony Langer. Or even just, he will do what I want him to do in this particular moment of the game, you know, to close it out, running behind, you know, keep Tottenham pushed back. Um, whereas Ronaldo won't do that. Or, or, so so is, do you, as a manager, do you kind of try and keep this guy on site? Or do you just think, cut your losses, I'm leaving him on the bench, he's not who I want ultimately. And actually, I'm going to force this issue myself I'm going to bring it to the fore. Ronaldo's not going to react well, but I'm I'm well aware that's going to happen, and, and therefore we'll have to find a solution. You know, kind of not not a message to the executives, but almost laying things bare, so to speak. It simply appears that that, that um, Eric Ten Hag is, is is working to the the greater good at the moment, isn't he? And, and you mentioned it earlier on, Laurie, about the the team ethic, and and I wanted to ask you about you know where Marcus Rashford fits in for for club, and then maybe I'll ask you about country, Jack, in a moment's time. Okay, we, we saw Thierry Henry being quite critical of, of Marcus Rashford on the on the television coverage and saying that he should have frozen the keeper in the moment they had an opportunity to, to to score. But do you see him actually being filled with confidence, even though the goals aren't necessarily flowing at the moment? You speak to people that sort of know him and they really feel that this season he has come back to what we remember of him from, you know, there's a couple of seasons under Solskjaer where he really did you know, he carried United for, for a large part, certainly the 1920 season. Um, and he has been invigorated, I think, by Ten Hag's instructions, by the, the clarity of what he wants from his players and the fact that he keeps picking him. You know, he he started pre-season on that left with Martial up, up front. And I think that was the idea coming into the season, but then Martial's been injured. So, OK, I'll shuffle Rashford and make him up top. And I think he's probably quite enjoyed that. You know, he, he does... He's running behind last night against Spurs. Were actually, I thought smarter. Sometimes he gets caught offside a bit too easily for my liking. But I think he was he was pretty good at, at timing those kind of runs, and and that just kept Tottenham guessing. And 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 I think he's perhaps in the past been maybe he's got a little bit uh, subdued when the pass hasn't come. But he seems to kind of keep doing those runs now, even if the pass doesn't come. You know, he he keeps up. And I wonder if that's because Ten Hag has kind of told his players, you know. Keep going with it. Don't don't be uh, downhearted if it doesn't work that time. You know it's all for the greater good. In that you know it will work the next time. It will just keep the defenders guessing, I suppose. Um, yeah, he's finishing. He should have scored at least one of those last night, shouldn't he? He can say he's getting in those positions is, is a good thing. Certainly the second one, he worked into his own shooting position. He dribbled in really nicely, and it was a good left footed shot. The second one, uh, sorry, that the third one was an incredible save from Lloris, I think. And obviously the first one was perhaps a bit too close. And Henri knows much more about scoring goals than I do. So I will defer to him on that. And, and clearly it'd be interesting if Rashford maybe has a conversation with someone like that where they talk about different kinds of finishing. Because I think power is his default. Um, and, and when he's one-on-one, maybe he, he could alter it a little bit. But I do think overall 
he is he looks engaged you know he looks like he knows what he's doing on the pitch and he's giving everything which is it is different than, than last season where it felt like he he was a bit lost really jack i wanted to ask you about rashford in the england um side and obviously you know he's he's working with a with a a manager at the moment in eric ten hag that that believes in him when he steps onto a, on the field you know whether he's in gareth southgate's starting uh lineup at the world cup we shall see do you sense that he will also be able to carry that confidence into the international stage? I'd love him to come back for England. Uh, I think that he's a he's a kind of strangely underrated player at international level. Like he was really really good in that time between the 2018 World Cup and then the the COVID stoppage uh, in March 2020. And I think if but by the time the Euros eventually came around in 2021, he clearly wasn't fully fit and wasn't really able to to be a big influence. Um, I don't know whether he's left it too late to get in the England squad. Obviously, we'll find out on the 10th of November who the 26 players Southgate's taking to Qatar are. I probably would not bet on Rashford being in there at the moment. But I think since Rashford has sort of fallen away from the England team, it's become very clear that England don't have a third goal scorer. There's Kane, there's ideally Raheem Sterling, although his numbers have dropped off a bit, and then there's no one. Nobody else scores any goals for England. And this is a really, really big problem that Southgate's got to wrestle with. And I think if there could be a fit on-form confident Rashford in the England squad, and like like I said, I think that probably won't be, then I think England would have their third goal scorer back and that would be of huge value to the team. And just a quick word, Laurie, on Harry Maguire's standing in in this, you know, for, for club, for country, potentially going to the World Cup, even though he's not playing for Manchester United. I know he was in the stands and he's not 100% fit and things like that against against Spurs. But how, how are we going to reach some sort of resolution with his situation. Yeah, I mean, maybe that's a different one, obviously, to Ronaldo. He, you know, Maguire is is uh, carrying himself uh, professionally and um, I think he's obviously sad that he's not playing. He's injured at the moment, but he obviously lost his place to Rafael Varane after um, a defeat. And, you know, I think that... That, that partnership between Varane and Martinez is really encouraging for United. I mean, Varane has had his injury problems, but um, they look really good together. Um, they, they kind of complement each other and they, they, they allow United to defend aggressively. Um, there, there will be bumps in the road. So, so there's certain matches maybe Maguire, I think, could come back in for. And, and listen, he might well fight his way back into it. You know, there's, I do think he has given, you know, good performances for United. And there was a reason why, you know, he was kind of, trusted repeatedly I, I suppose ironically this is the first time that he's had an injury that's kept him out for a, a bit of time really because he's played through injuries before for United to kind of maintain that uh, level of performance but yeah I, I think maybe ultimately as a defender what Ten Hag wants from his defenders is different to what Maguire offers um, so I think he, he, he can be you know clearly a, a useful uh, alternative but, but, but Victor Lindelof's been good really when he's he's played so he, he's you've got four central defenders there and maybe there does need to be a resolution on that one uh, from a club perspective Gareth Southgate seems to trust him implicitly and he's, he's defended him massively hasn't he whenever he's been asked about him clearly playing in a back three compared to playing in a back four is is different and you kind of think Maguire is suited more to that back three system um, ideally, he's he shifted sides a little bit for United this season. He was on the left a lot for you know under Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, but then Martinez coming in as kind of you know that that's his position. So Maguire shifted across, and I don't know if there's been a bit of teething problems with that. You know, ultimately at the moment it, it, you sort of look at it thinking it'll be difficult for Maguire to force himself into that 
that back line uh, without an injury to, to either of those guys. So whether that gives Southgate a decision to make, I think ultimately he'll, he'll still think he's done well for me in the past. If he's fit, he's in my team. Yeah, and it's interesting. Uh, Dominic Fifield has, has written a, a piece about the defensive options that Gareth Southgate has. And Phil Buckingham has also written about the World Cup provisional squads and the complications of having the World Cup start almost as if it's just another Premier League game. There is no gap, so there are going to be more injuries and there are going to be uh, more difficulties for all the, the national sides. And you would have thought with the with the blood and thunder of, of Premier League football, uh, Gareth Southgate will probably have to deal with more injuries to come. Uh, Laurie, appreciate your time. Jack, same to you as well. Thank you very much for being on. Uh, that's it for now. Don't forget, if you haven't already, you can subscribe to The Athletic for just £1 for the first six months by going to theathletic.com forward slash football pod. Uh, there is loads up there for you uh, right now, including reaction to United against Spurs. Also a big read on Cody Gakpo as well, who United courted in the summer window. We'll see you again soon. The Athletic. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.